0: Welcome to episode 248 with my return guest, uh therapist, Dr. Jessica Zucker. Very excited to have her back. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. Uh, it's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that does not suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. If you've never been there, go check it out. There's a lot of uh, really cool things you can do there. The website itself is very dated looking, so apologies for that. I'm trying to get the financing together to uh, find a new web designer, uh, so bear with us as you head back into 1996. <laughs> but that is one of the nice things about having an out-of-date website as you're like, oh, I remember 1990. Uh, so enjoy that you can fill out surveys there you can browse the form you can read guest blogs or you can just wonder at how in the name of God somebody can have a website that is so horribly out of date Uh, let's get to the um, surveys this is a struggle in a sentence survey filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as excuse me Sounded like a fart. That was actually the arm of my chair. Farting. This is... Oh, so I want to go back and erase that. I'm a terrible person. This, <laughs> this is filled out by an agender person who calls himself um, Allied Master Computer. And about their misophonia, they write... Uh, and, and that's uh, being very, very sensitive to certain types of noise. Uh, feels like chalk on a blackboard to that, uh, to people that have misophonia. I don't know. Is it misophonia or misophonia, um, or is it me so horny? <laughs> Sorry, that was just sitting there like a ball up on the tee, and I had to take a swing at it. Um, I. Oh, our neighbors are putting their garbage out. Um, <laughs> what if they've heard me record every single episode, and I and I didn't know it? They would. Uh, they would have moved away. Way before now. Anyway, Allied Master Computer, writing about their misophonia. Uh, Why whistle when you could just punch me in the mouth instead and it would probably be more comfortable for the both of us? This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Menudo about his depression. My strengths go to convincing myself of my weaknesses. Boy, isn't that amazing? That is our greatest strength is telling ourselves, making the, making the argument that we are uh, worthless and weak. It's like we have an inner Niedermeyer, um, go rent the movie Animal House if you don't understand that reference, about his anxiety. He writes, I'm all right, I like the fetal position. Why do you ask? Uh, Cullen, uh, who's a teenager, writes about his PTSD. The emotions of the event run through me like a stampede and I'm ready for an attack. In a snapshot from his life, during a flashback, I snapped the top, of a, the top of a can off and almost cut myself with it, but I realized that digging metal into my veins wouldn't make my problem go away. It would just cause more problems. Holly writes about her depression. I have so much to be thankful for, and yet I feel mild. I am numb, and I just want my passion back. Oh my God, do I relate to that. Oh my god, do I relate to that. I know I say that a lot, but when you guys really nail what I experience, it really helps me. It really helps me. Um we so easily get into that place where we think we're the only ones. You would think a guy who does a fucking podcast where the tagline is you're not alone would forget that would never forget that he's not alone. Do you like how I beat myself up about beating myself up? I'm getting very meta. Uh, This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Little SP, and a snapshot from her life, she writes... I understand the childhood sexual abuse and rape I experienced was not my fault, and I have moved on thanks to a lot of therapy and processing. What continues to drag me down are my sexual fantasies. I would never act on them. In fact, the thought of doing such in real life makes me feel physically sick. I know that fantasies are out of our control, but the thought that my fantasy would put me in prison creates an enormous conflict in me. I feel sick and disgusting. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do my old soapbox. If you are not hurting anybody, that's that's all that matters. If it just stays in your brain. Um, this is uh, filled out by K, a guy who calls himself K, and a snapshot from his life. He writes, nothing better than waking up at 4 a.m. in a cold sweat, shaking, then taking an anxiety med, becoming worried that it's not working, getting more anxious, and then puking up the anxiety meds. Yes, I scooped the pill back out of the puke, and put it back in my stomach. Yes, gross, I know, but I only have five left. (laughs) Fucking love you guys. Fucking love you guys. Uh, This is by Juniper Annotations. She's a teenager and about her depression. She writes, My depression feels like caring about everything and at the same time nothing. Snapshot from her life. I have uh, an eating disorder, not otherwise specified, and I am very overweight from constant starving for months and then eating again. I am currently in one of my longest starving periods, and I am losing weight rapidly, hiding uneaten food, cutting myself when I go over 700 calories, and no one knows or would care because nothing looks like it's wrong. I have a feeling this might develop into anorexia, and I'm happy about it. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope it doesn't. And if it does, I hope you get help. And don't try to do it on your own. Um, and this one, I fucking love this one. This woman calls herself six-piece chicken McNobody. <laughs> Hall of Fame name. Hall of Fame name. Uh, about her depression. Uh, like when it's gray and humid outside but still too chilly to not wear a jacket, but it also refuses to rain and is just a steady stream of gray everywhere, and all that just inside your skull. Oh, she's good. She could turn pro, I think. About her anxiety, if you are relaxed, you're forgetting something. So stress about that, idiot. (laughs) She would make a good guest. About her anorexia, restriction is responsibility. Pain is pride. Wooziness is winning. You're doing great. And about her ptsd i hear a sound catch a scent and it's happening again right now and no matter how many times it plays out you'll never get out unscathed and then a snapshot from her life me i think i have an eating disorder mom you're too heavy to have an eating disorder me i think i have an eating disorder doctor i don't think so here's a chart about uh, bmi uh, body mass index, you can keep that. You should probably be exercising a little more. Me, I think I have an eating disorder. Friend, no offense, but I don't think you have the body for that to make sense. Psychologist, do you think you have an eating disorder? Me, no, I don't think so. My God, somebody
1: does what
0: I've been doing. You're shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom.
1: I will be high. that is when I first felt love, like I first felt... Reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. And I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing.
0: I am here with Dr. Jessica Zucker, who uh, I hold a special place in my, my heart for... Um, Two of our top voted episodes uh, that we did in 2012, voted number one and number two by the listeners, were the two episodes that you did, and you helped me with a lot of issues that i was I was going through at the at the time. And um, I don't know why it has taken us so long to get you back on here. Well, for one, you're a super busy person, and you've also um, been dealing with a lot of stuff, a lot of personal stuff in the last couple of years. And you had another baby, so you have two kids now. That's right. Um, But one of the things that we want to talk about today is a really difficult subject to talk about, uh, which is- Your mother. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's not talk about me. I've just talked about it so much.
0: We uh we're gonna talk about we will talk about my uh my mom later because one of the uh, things I, I tweeted out was that um do you have any questions for me or for uh for Dr. for me to ask Dr. Zucker or for Dr. Zucker to uh to ask me. And um uh, specifically uh, questions for you around pregnancy loss. Um before we started rolling, um you were hemming and hawing um Talk talk about why you're hemming and hawing about talking about.
1: You know, I've written extensively since my loss. So the, my loss was exactly three years ago this past weekend, and it was a 16-week miscarriage. And, um, you know, it, soon after the loss, I wrote safely i guess about the politics of loss and sort of how our culture deals and does not deal with pregnancy loss
0: did you write it, in it kind of in a third person exactly yeah.
1: i was kind of i kept my distance there and then last year um i wrote a new york times piece that where and i initiated this hashtag campaign i had a miscarriage and in that piece i revealed all the details of my story and then part of the piece was really a call to action for us to sort of own our stories and, you know, investigate this cultural shame that we seem to have around pregnancy loss. Uh, And I would even go so far as
0: to say ignorance or indifference.
1: I'm sure you're right. And, And I don't know if it's in part because it's a women's health issue. And so one might argue that a lot of women's health issues are sort of eschewed or, you know, kept in a closet somewhere um
0: well if we men can't control it why would we be interested in it? <laughs> if we can't tell you what to do about it why would we be interested in it
1: well it's interesting because i actually think that if men had miscarriages yes the conversation in our world would be so different right we,
0: we have had some very powerful episodes on pregnancy loss uh we had one with uh uh jillian uh Ray, who um it was, or was it Gillian? God, I always forget how to pronounce her first name. But um, it opened my eyes mm. to not that I was indifferent to it before, but when you hear the details of it, it you feel it in a whole in a whole different way.
1: And when you hear the statistics, I mean, I think that in part, it's interesting you're choosing to use the word indifferent. I think until we are a statistic, we often don't worry ourselves with the statistic. And then once we are one, I mean, hopefully it sort of creates some, you know, urging to action, or at least for me it did. Sort of like, wow, this is incredibly compelling. One in four, one in five pregnancies end. So what are all of these women feeling? Why are they blaming themselves? I mean. That's and, the
0: part that I had no idea.
1: Yes. A, a um, recent NPR piece, uh, maybe several months ago, it came out, um, you know, underscored that a majority of women blame themselves, um, feel some guilt and have shame around pregnancy loss. Why? What is that? So that I, I'm that. Makes me um, enraged <laughs> and and worried and bewildered. Really, um, did you and blame? Concerned?
0: Did you blame yourself when not you not at you experienced, all? And that—that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, it didn't occur to me to go there, though. So I had a healthy son already, and so when I started spotting, I mean, I knew that something was you know about to happen that was horrendous or just at least really unfortunate. Um, it didn't occur to me that it it had to do with me, my behavior, or my body. I just assumed that something was wrong with the baby. So I mean, luckily for us, um, you know, I did bring the baby in and the baby was tested. And within two weeks, we found out that she had a chromosomal issue. And that helped us really make sense of this trauma, because I think without knowing why women and families are left even more sort of bereaved or and it's not more, but, you know, just more confused and even more afraid to go on to get pregnant again, of course.
0: So did you, you knew that there was a chromosome issue before you miscarried?
1: No, no, because so. So I was 16 weeks pregnant. I started spotting on a Tuesday.
0: Tuesday when, is the best day to start spotting. Right?
1: I mean, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Cause you usually want to have. spot
0: midweek. I mean, Wednesday's <laughs> ideal, but if, you're, if you've are if got to push it to For Tuesday. For social
1: media, it would have been, you know, it's it's best to start on a Tuesday. I agree. Because the weekend, I would have had no attention, right? Um Yeah. So, and, but I went to my doctor, the baby looked great. Everything was fine. Wednesday I went to work because my doctor said it was fine. I felt well enough. And then when I was driving home from work on Wednesday evening, I started having what seemed like true contractions. And there's just, that's very unusual to have early contractions at 16 weeks. So I was concerned, but my friend who's a midwife came over and checked the heartbeat still was fine. I didn't sleep that whole night. I was in like, I was roiling in pain. Um, and the next morning I knew, I mean, I got back in the bath. That was what they suggested, that maybe it would slow the contractions. And I just, I there, I knew there was no way that there was going to be a positive outcome. And then my son went off to school. My husband was at work and I was trying to get myself dressed to go to the doctor uh, again and um and then the baby came out when i went to the bathroom yeah so luckily you know i'm friends with my OBGYN and she's very available and loving and wonderful can we just pause there for a yeah. second yes
0: what did you think and feel in in that moment
1: I have n- well so what happened right before so as I was trying to put my pants on I had what almost feels like sort of like a panic attack I was sweating and it, I felt this kind of dizzying anxiety and I'm I'm not somebody who experiences that normally and what I didn't know then but what I know now is that that was what's called transition so like I was about to give birth and I didn't know um, I screamed so loudly that I'm surprised that my entire house didn't shatter. And I was on the phone with my stepmom.
0: And what was what was this? If you could categorize, yeah. what, what emotion was behind the scream? What, what I was, was imp-
1: so fucking terrified. I've never even heard of this happening. Like I, I was like. I mean, she was just – I mean, because I, I think I heard a pop. I know I heard something. And that was that my water breaking? I have no idea. Like, now it, it's just hard to, like, really sort of know those details. But I, she was dangling from my body.
0: Oh, my God. Like,
1: above, you know, the toilet bowl water. And I'm home alone.
0: I can't imagine how terrifying – I can't imagine how terrifying that must be. I – And sad.
1: It was so intense. And of course, like I couldn't help, but well, I didn't know what to do. So, I mean, you go, I went straight into action because I mean, what the fuck? Like, do you tuck it back in? I mean, what the fuck do you do? No, um,
0: do you waddle to the end of the driveway? <laughs> well,
1: that's the thing. My stepmom was like, call 911 and I, I'm not having like these huge fireman running through my house with this baby between my legs li- i mean it was just Jesus, insane
0: Jesus.
1: so i texted a bunch of people including of course my O B G Y N and we got on the phone and she walked me through what to do and so i mean i have to say like yes it, it was horror but i couldn't feel my feelings yet because i you know sort of like being in the wild, you know, like... when you a, adrenaline charged? Were yeah, you I shaking? Mean, you just, you have to fucking survive, right? It's like, what is going to make it so that I don't die right here, right now? Like, this is, I've never heard of it. Whoa. I've never heard of anything like this. You know, it's so unusual.
0: Now, what, what was unusual about, because the baby was hanging or well, because, I mean, because you were aware that there were miscarriages. Of course, in, in but the- a
1: majority of miscarriages happen within the first trimester. So... Normally, you know, they take place within the first twelve weeks.
0: Oh, and so at sixteen weeks. So at sixteen weeks,
1: thought- I was two weeks away. Well, yeah, two weeks away. I think from having my amnio, which we would have then found out the chromosomal problems at mm-hmm. that time. Um, yeah, and and at least most of the stories I hear, women go to the doctor for their regular checkup, and there's no heartbeat. And then they have to plan the DNC and get, you know, the the fetus out and the placenta out. I've never heard of any. This is like documentary style. Like, I just like feel like I should have been Where where was I? How did this happen? So she coached me beautifully over the phone. You know, I had to go get scissors. I had to cut oh the cord. God. So I had to cut the cord. And it's like, okay, you cut the cord. And then I'm holding my baby. My She's not a baby, but she's this thing. And I did study her for a minute. It's like, what do you, who are you? Like, what do you look like? Do you look like your brother? How is this possible? I mean, I, how is this possible?
0: I can't imagine how surreal that must have been.
1: So surreal. and But then, this, then... So, you know, again, each moment had its own horrific turn, I guess. Once I cut the cord, I hemorrhaged. So you, you you can't stop bleeding until the placenta is out. So when I cut the cord, I put the baby, you know, on a towel. But then I couldn't get up from the toilet because I couldn't, you don't stop bleeding. Like, literally, you don't stop bleeding. So that's why I texted.
0: And just bleeding out of the cord?
1: Yeah. Okay. And um, I think, yeah, because it's the, the placenta is still there. So it's sort of like your body doesn't know to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So I texted a bunch of people because I think there was a part of me that thought I could easily, you know, pass out. Um, or just not, I mean, how was I to get anywhere and I needed to get to my doctor's office immediately. So my husband of course came home and then,
0: and, and Siri is of no help in that. Ah!
1: (laughs) Could she, she could come pick me up. That would have been, that's such a good idea. You are going to make this app. For sixteen week miscarriages, when you cut your own fucking cord in Laurel Canyon, perfect. Siri is going to come and hold the baby. Oh my god! Only you. Um. So and then you know, of course we. So we had to bring the baby in a bag. Um. You know, to my doctor's office so that we could test the baby because you know she. I mean, we wanted information. I don't know. Do you really want these other details? Because it just gets Uh, gorier from here. I want
0: you you to talk about whatever is, uh, whatever you want to talk about, whatever is the most helpful to people listening. Um,
1: Well, that's the thing. So I, you know, for people listening, this is pretty uncommon for this type of thing to happen. So anyone who's hearing this shouldn't be afraid that this is a typical miscarriage. It most definitely isn't. Um, in retrospect,
0: you were, our sound just uh, had a funny thing there. You were saying in retrospect,
1: in retrospect, uh, this sounds sort of strange to say, so I'm pausing, but. I think this happened to the right person, if that makes any sense. Meaning, so I'm a psychologist. I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. And I've I've been working with women struggling to get pregnant, stay pregnant, and experiencing, you know, late term terminations because something's wrong with the baby, stillbirth, and then, you know, postpartum depression and, and all of that. So in some ways... I, I mean, inevitably, it enriched my work in a way that I could never have envisioned. Or I
0: like, I like to think of it as horrible graduate school.
1: <laughs> right. I should get an honorary degree. What is it called? I'm not going to tell you what the medal looks like. Baby falls from doctor... Does that go after or before the PhD? I like that. Oh, God. Yeah. If we can't laugh about it, what, I mean, what, well, you what cry are we going to do? forever. And cried. you cried
0: for a long time.
1: It 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 was so interesting because, um, yeah, the emotions were circuitous. And I've been talking a lot about that in my interviews about the the cards that I just created for pregnancy loss. And so... There is nothing linear about this type of grief. Maybe not grief in general, actually, but I was but, just gonna say. Right? So it's like and I a lot of my patients, you know, are prone to judging their grief. And their
0: process. And you know? the process
1: of yeah. it. It's like, why why did I feel better last week? This week I feel like shit. Why did I laugh yesterday, but today I don't want to get out of bed? And I gently suggest why? I don't. Why not?
0: Because uh, we want to. We want to be quote normal. You know, but what I you
1: mean? are. But it is normal, and that's the whole thing. It's like.
0: But I think we have this preconceived notion of, of back what back normal is. That, it, right. that, that it's linear. It's progressive. Right. It's clearly identified. It makes sense. Totally. We're in control.
1: Well, and that people want to quote unquote get back to some happy thing that that our get culture back to is. the mall. <laughs> oh as long as you have a lot of credit cards. How with long you. <laughs> until
0: I can get back to the mall and buy a limited dish edition Kincaid? That's, that's all I want to know.
1: No. See, so that's the thing. You could go shopping one day and the next day, you know, want to kill yourself.
0: So, nonlinear grief?
1: Yeah, so I think. I was in action mode for a bit, and I have a son, and he didn't technically know I was pregnant. So I also had the responsibility, in a way, to keep it together, whatever that means, around him anyway. I didn't want my son to suddenly have a mother who is, Mm. you know, bedridden or something. I I don't think though that I honored my the initial aftermath of the loss well enough. I just didn't know it at the time. So I so it happened on a Thursday and I planned to return to work on Monday and people thought I was insane, loved ones thought I was crazy. So I canceled, you know, and didn't work for a week, but then I went back. And what was that like? I don't know. I thought I was okay. Yeah. I
0: Weren't you just in a haze, though?
1: Haze. But in a way, interacting in my work and focusing on other people and helping them got me, I guess, maybe out of my own head. Or I wasn't even in my head. It just, like, made me focus. Yeah. So it, maybe it cleared the haze for some hours. But I would just start bawling or even, like, screaming, driving out of nowhere you know what i mean so i i just my True. emotions were sort of all over the Did place you get some good
0: snot coming out <laughs> i
1: bottled you? it i brought it for you it's a few years old but it's still tasty
0: you know uh, maybe i'm old school but if if the snot isn't ugly <laughs> you haven't reached deep enough you're not really because <laughs> i i believe deep inside all of our souls is a core of snot <laughs>
1: I'm gonna try that later. I gotta have some good cries. But you, some you felt tears.
0: that the, the, the cries were super cathartic. Um, it
1: was really intense. I remember soon after the loss. I think it was actually the weekend after the loss. My son was taking a class at LACMA, an art class. So I, I decided somehow that I wanted to try to go. And luckily, I brought a separate car and I left early and I went home and I. I've ne I don't I've definitely never cried that hard in my life and um you know, spent at least an hour on the phone with my father. My father was so incredibly helpful and loving through this experience. And that must have been
0: really nice to have him.
1: Whoa, yeah. I mean, because in a way, you know, I, we don't as a culture understand how to talk about these things. And even, and and I don't, you know, but, um, people disappeared, people took space, people were there, people were then not there. My father was definitely there. Ooh, there through and through. Sorry. Hold on. I'm talking too much.
0: No, you're not. <clears throat> no, the rest of the time you talk too much, but right, but right now you're not. I
1: know. I almost lost my voice last week with all these interviews. Um...
0: Your father. And, and you know. in, in what way was your dad supported? Because the, the most common email I got from people that the tweet, you know, when mm-hmm. I tweeted out, I was going to be talking to you about pregnancy loss, have any questions for her. Obviously, the most common one is how can I support my friend? Mm-hmm. And so Good. um even though obviously your dad is your dad and not yeah. a friend, I yeah. would imagine the way that you still relate to someone who's experienced the pregnancy loss doesn't yeah. change that dramatically from mm-hmm. relative to friend.
1: Yeah. My the main thing I guess I want to convey about how to be there for a friend. And again, wait, let me back up. Everybody experiences grief differently. Everybody experiences loss differently. Two women could have miscarriages at 8 weeks. One could be devastated. The other could say, "Eh, I'll just move on. Something was probably wrong with the baby. I'll just get pregnant again soon." So, our histories of loss usually, I think, you know, inevitably inform the way that we're going to experience new loss. Um, So, I think in my case, that people being consistent would have been incredibly powerful. Consistent in what way? So, in our culture, we are used to showing up for people when, let's say, grandparents die. Hopefully they've had a long and meaningful life. We know the rites and rituals around this kind of law. So you go to the funeral or you send flowers or food or you show up. And then unless that person was incredibly connected to that grandparent, let's say, people don't really ask about it a month later or mm-hmm. three months later, definitely not a year later. In my situation, I would have appreciated people checking in randomly over the course of time. So you know it's most people are uh advised to wait a few months after a miscarriage after a dNC to get pregnant again. so I think four months later, I got pregnant again. And I've never been so terrified. And to be in a body terrified for 10 months, that's, you know, what a normal pregnancy should be. Um, That's unreal. So I think, again, in our culture, we focus on, ah, but you're pregnant and you it's, everything's healthy and that's great and you finally are getting what you want and it's a girl again and blah. Yes, that doesn't mean, though, that there aren't a lot of feelings, particularly pregnancy after pregnancy loss. You're going to have so many feelings potentially in that pregnancy. But, uh, you know, I'm, I've connected with so many lost moms across the world at this point, And a lot of my friend, new friends have had stillbirths. And so let's say they gave birth at 38, 40 weeks to a dead baby, even when they go on to have a healthy baby. They don't want to forget that baby. So for us as a culture to just dare ourselves a little bit more or to muster some courage or even just some plain empathy to say, how the fuck are you? I'm not going to assume I know how you feel. You know, just it's Mm -hmm. simple. So it's like everyone's so consumed with this phrase. I just didn't know what to say.
0: How about saying that to the to the person I'm. I'm really anxious right now because I I love you and I want to be here for you, but I don't know what to say. Exactly. If somebody had said that to you, what would you have thought or felt?
1: I would have said, I wouldn't know what to say to me either. Because we don't know.
0: Did hugs feel good?
1: I think so. I don't even, I don't remember exactly. I, I think I just, my body just felt, I went through a lot because... When I got to the doctor's office and was required to take my pants off, of course, um, a blood clot the size of a balloon, you know, came out and splattered on the floor and the walls, whatever. And I was hopeful that was the placenta. But my doctor, you know, took a look and it wasn't. And so then because of the… It um was a blood clot. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the amount of blood and I was like had towels and whatever. Um, so because of the amount of blood I had lost, it was either basically I wait for an anesthesiologist and have a medicated DNC, but that would mean having a blood transfusion. The other option was to have an unmedicated DNC, do it right now, 15 minutes of fucking, fucking pain. But then it's done, and I would stop bleeding, oh you know. Oh so, I, you know, at that point, it was sort of like, well, uh, I mean, I didn't want to wait and keep bleeding. I definitely didn't want to have a blood transfusion if I didn't have to. And I figured the pain I had just been through was so damn intense. Let's just get this done, right? Uh, so that happened.
0: That's a hell of a 24 hours.
1: That was yeah. Yeah. That like there are certain aspects of my memory that will never be will never fade fully like that. You know, like the sound of the DNC machine. Right? So my husband I I had him he played music in my ear and I just like wept like staring into the eyes of my doctor's nurse because I love her. And I was just like, you know, this is fucking unreal because I mean, every every part of it, you're tugging out the placenta. So that's like the last of my connection with this person, non-person. My baby just fell out at home. I'm hemorrhaging you know, I mean, it's, I've it, it, never, I, I, it's just, un, it's, it's surreal. So once the DNC was done and then like smelling salts and things, cause I had lost so much blood and, um, and I, you know, I bled for a really long time. Um, but then I made my way home. We took pictures of her to have, um, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting talking about this because in a way it feels like so long ago, you know. But it happened to me. I forget that, I think, sometimes because I'm so used to, in my work, focusing on other people. And at this point I've written so much about it and have been so public about it, but it's different to actually sit with you and talk.
0: Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I mean, it's just... um harrowing right what are some of the things that people say to someone who miscarried that aren't the best yeah things to say
1: yeah that's a really important question and i've said these things you know so when people say well aren't you relieved because the baby wasn't healthy this isn't stuff people would say to me maybe at 16 weeks but earlier losses people might say stuff like that people often say things like um, you were ambivalent about getting pregnant so you know is this okay with you or at least you know that you can get pregnant so that's good or you're so young you know it's you'll be fine pregnant again, and it's it's fascinating because what are we saying we're not medical practitioners and even they can't necessarily predict the future of this person's fertility even with reproductive technologies in the mix that's helpful but we don't know
0: but it's it's also it's not the it's not the point it's not the point the point is you went through something traumatic this is about the the quantity of the quality of your experience not the quantity of things coming out of you
1: that's right exactly and exactly it's really it's sort of highlights how difficult it is for people to be here and now let's just talk about here and now we don't need to talk about my fluffy future you know and yes I got a healthy daughter and she's she'll be two in December um but I for months I mean I I actually wrote a poem about this when she was 16 months old um I would look into her eyes sometimes and like not believe she was real, not in, I'm not psychotic, but I just mean, you know, I still would have trouble. This has faded for me recently, luckily, but, you know, I would just look at her sometimes and think, is this, how is this possible? You know, just the mix up, the mashup of life. I mean, if the other one had been here, this one wouldn't be. I mean, obvious things like that, but when you're the one in it, it's it's confounding and feels very profound, you know?
0: Kind of like uh, <laughs> this is... I'm looking at my spin on life's roulette wheel. Exactly. <sighs> How random.
1: Right. But we could say that about anything. So, it, you know... But if, when it's ours. Right. It's, like, if I had had sex the night before or the night after, that may not have happened. Or maybe five minutes later. You know, it's just... It, the, the, to think about... Um, how random and how out of our control so many things are.
0: So it seems like part of the healing process has to include making peace mm. with the randomness of life.
1: I, I think...
0: Am I wrong? Or yes, I, mean-
1: I definitely think that You're right that it can bring a tidal wave of anxiety for most people because most people don't want to think about how much can happen in a day if we leave the house, which most of us do, Mm -hmm. right? So when something tragic or traumatic does happen, the vulnerability, the rawness is kind of highlighted, you know, it's a neon. And you can't get away from that. So you're right. I think for me, writing and connecting with other people in the lost community has really been my healing. Sure, having, of course, a healthy baby was incredibly helpful, too. But thinking through these issues and looking at all different parts of them, like you said, you know, what to say to people, what not to say to people, how I felt, what what's with the shame, how does our culture deal with this, what's with the silence, you know, all of it. Do you think a
0: part of the problem is, you know, in the American culture, there's such a... Um, and, and and I do this too, and I and I like the, the kind of the silver lining attitude mm-hmm. sometimes. But there's mm-hmm. times when you need to put it the fuck away mm-hmm. and just feel that person.
1: That's the thing.
0: And just you yeah. know, the, the phrase you psychologists use: yeah. hold space. Yes, hold space for that That's person. True. Just listen. Yeah. Look them in the eyes.
1: Because what I've been thinking about more recently, actually, it's now i'm thinking it's actually the person who's not grieving that's way more uncomfortable maybe than the griever I themselves, think so. right i think so the griever doesn't have a choice they have to show the fuck up right here right now because that was forced on them right but the people around them are you know I don't
0: Their minds are swirling. Am eat. I have I overstayed my right. My welcome. Should I stay longer? Right. Am I being empathetic? Empathetic enough? Am right. I being patronizing? Right. What? If, all of it. I I have no playbook to exactly. to go by, which is I think a perfect place to go to your to your cards. Beautiful. These These cards that you have created around Thank pregnancy you. loss. Yes. And I'm just going to read some of them. Um, Grief knows no timeline. Take all the time you need. If you want to rest, do. If you want to scream, do. If you want to distract yourself, do. If you want to cry, do. If you want to stuff your face, do. If you want to hibernate, do. If you want to go on an adventure, do. If you want to call me morning, noon, and night, do. Be gentle with yourself, do. It's a beautiful one. Mm. That one sold out. This one is called, uh, and where can people get these?
1: Um, on the website. It's a the online shop. It's com. And did you write all these yourself? I did.
0: It's amazing for somebody as lazy as you.
1: <laughs> I know I need to do more. This
0: is the one I really love. Of course do. I think you do. more than anyone because it says fuck so many <laughs> of times. Course. Fuck, this is God's plan. Yes. Fuck, everything happens for a reason. Hallelujah. Fuck, time erases pain. Right on. Fuck, loss. Yes. Fuck, at least you know you can get pregnant. Totally. And fuck, it wasn't meant to be. Fuck, heartbreak. That's awesome. Amen. I imagine you feel like shit right now, but I just had to remind you how wonderful I think you are. That That is one, that I think, any, mm. any circumstance.
1: True. Yes. That one brings tears to my eyes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think if, when I was going through my worst of mm. times, I think if somebody yeah. had sent that to me, not that people weren't there for me, but, um, you know, the, the feeling that, that, I think what we get when we when we have a trauma that really upends our life, mm. it's for me, I experience that feeling like um, you imagine an astronaut would feel when the, when the cord gets snipped to the spaceship and you're just floating and you don't know what's real or yeah. what isn't where the alone. truth is. Right. Yeah. Alone and confused yeah. and, and disoriented. Exactly. Um
1: and so something like this kind of can be grounding because, I mean, I created these in part because I want people to connect in loss. So if people feel they don't know what to say, they can't say that anymore because these cards exist. So there are some sympathy cards mm-hmm. that exist for miscarriage and pregnancy loss, but they don't really necessarily resonate um for me anyway. So these have a bit more irreverence and I think say it like it is in a way that yeah. – that hopefully make the the griever feel validated
0: yeah because they're not it's it's not hallmarky you know these these are um what we wish we could come up with the words to say Mm -hmm. uh this one says i'm deeply sorry for your loss
1: i'm here always Where's that saying? I at? know. It's hard to read it. In oh, the you're going to
0: fire your printer. I can't. <laughs> and then again, the, the light is low I'll tell in
1: him. here. i uh, The last
0: thing you probably want to hear right now is I know exactly how you feel. This happens for a reason. Be grateful for what you have. Uh, pop in earplugs. Drown out the noise. Be surrounded by loving support. People who get it, uh, I may not always know the right thing to say, but I'm going to try. I love you like crazy.
1: mm. This one let me see that one.: Yeah, that's a stillbirth announcement. So I this one is for yeah, it's, this one's sold in boxes of 10, and this is for the grievers to send out to the community or loved ones. So this is if somebody has a baby who dies
0: uh, with heavy hearts. With, we lovingly.: Yes. Honor. the memory.
1: I don't know, actually. Let's see. With heavy hearts, we lovingly honor the memory of our child who was with us too briefly. And then they can write in the name of the baby when they were born and when they died. And inside is blank. So if there are funeral arrangements or a ceremony or they want to include pictures of the baby or something. Yeah.
0: Um, And then this one is, uh, I had a miscarriage. Everyone has a different experience. I understand um and so this is somebody who has had a miscarriage to to say hey Precisely. i'm in this horrible club that that yes. we that we both
1: yeah it was a way i wanted to continue on the hashtag um because mm-hmm. with the new york times piece i had launched the um that campaign but i also love the idea that some people don't ever talk about their miscarriages especially women of other generations. But I love this card because it's basically, you can come out of the closet too right then Mm -hmm. if you're wanting to. Or if that friend didn't know you had had one, it's like, you are so
0: not alone. It is so comforting when somebody... I had this moment where I read a thing on stage about the, the stuff that had happened to me, and I thought I was mm. going to be fine reading it. It was, it was for this thing called Taboo Tales, and I thought, well, you know, what's more taboo than talking about incest? So I read this thing, and it was nothing that I hadn't shared with anybody before, but all the people I'd shared it with before were close friends, people in my support group, therapists, my mm-hmm. wife, Um and suddenly as I'm reading this thing on stage, um, I, I didn't feel safe, completely safe, because I thought, Oh my God, there's probably people out there that think I'm weird, mm. that that think this is super gross, um, you know, what, whatever. Yeah, I, I was taking on the shame. Yes, I yeah. was taking the shame. And yeah. my knees started shaking and my voice started quivering and I started fighting tears back. And as soon as the thing was over, I just wanted to run to mm. my car and mm. drive and find some place and and cry.
1: Yeah.
0: And And so I'm standing there trying to avoid eye contact and this guy comes up to me and he said, I've never heard my story before mm. and it was like uh, an angel had descended Whoa. from the heavens Wow and I just uh, mm. I just hugged him and he held me and I and I uh. just sobbed uh. and it was so I thank God yeah. for that person and yeah. I felt like
1: and he for you.
0: yes, um, but That's honestly so in that moment. He was there for me. Yeah. I was a, I was a total mess. I mean, yeah, he, but I mean, I was, think,
1: though, you you can't know what that did for him. You were the one true. with emotion because that's you true. were up there. Let's
0: put it this way. I was draining him at that moment. I didn't give a shit about him. <laughs> exactly.
1: But I mean, putting word, when somebody is brave enough to share, it helps countless people. And the fact that he came up and told you that is so beautiful and so you know, unusual.
0: And I immediately went from regretting doing that to being so grateful that, yeah, that I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This, this wasn't, you know, doing this thing. Wasn't, wasn't a waste of, not at all of of my time. No. Um, no, I
1: think sometimes when we're brave and we Mm -hmm. put ourselves out there and I, I've found that this with, you know, a lot of my essays, because I vow that I will never read the comments because people will say the meanest things, even when you're talking about your broken heart. And so it takes a certain fortitude, I think for you as a performer, for me as a writer to, to just go for it, you know, with like, the hope like, of yeah. your own healing and also with telling your truth with, with sharing your stories and, in, invariably, I think we we do help others by opening up like that,
0: um, which leads me to my next question. Where are some places that you connected with people mm. and outside of your office as a professional um, and give me some snapshots, some moments that healed you mm. and through that that bond?
1: Well, Interestingly, so my loss was on 10-11-12, so October 11th, and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Day, Pregnancy and Baby Loss Awareness Day, is October 15th. So although I had been working with women who had lost pregnancies or had to terminate pregnancies because something was wrong with the baby, I, I don't think that that date was on my radar. So a few days after my loss i'm on twitter because i'm just in a haze and trying to not feel i guess and here i come across tons and tons of essays and information and resources and people talking about their experiences people
0: sending it to you or you stumbling across it
1: yeah you know, because it was this this day, this national day, which is which is on Thursday, um, and immediately I felt less isolated um, because it's one thing to know statistics; it's another thing to have friends and people that you know who have gone through it, and then it's for me yet another thing to actually connect with people who aren't necessarily friends and have these conversations about loss and healing and fear and terror and trauma and hope and see how universal these
0: feelings are. I think especially when it's a stranger, I I think there's something super, super powerful about it. Do you think it's because it's not complicated by anything outside of that Issue that it's just so pure.
1: Mm.
0: For, yeah. for me, it's really yeah. it's really um, maybe because I have a fear of intimacy. It's yeah. so beautifully self-contained into that issue and that conversation that the selfish part of me doesn't have to worry about. Oh, am I going to be obligated to go to coffee with this person <gasps> right. once a week? Right, or right. it's just a right. it's a it's a nice little self-contained inner interaction yeah
1: Um, no it's true i think in friendships we're all probably prone to caring and worrying about somebody else's feelings as well so i think like friends who were pregnant at the time for example i wasn't going to share the gory details with them because i didn't want to scare them or you know um, impact their experience of pregnancy so yeah the anonymity i guess or the yeah um the sort of lack of having to then follow up in mm-hmm. in these sort of mundane ways was really important for me, and continues to be. I mean, I have met such incredible women over these years, luckily, um, who are who live everywhere and write extraordinarily well about these important issues. So, for me, my I, I have found transformation in trauma through my writing and through these connections. And so the cards are sort of an extension of that. So as I said before, at first I was writing from a distance, I was writing more about the politics of loss. And then I got closer to myself and became more personal and shared my story. And then I worked with an illustrator. We did an illustrated piece. They're fantastic. Yeah. Oh, did you see? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So we did one that was what. Tell, to s-
0: the, tell, the, yeah, tell the listener what it. Oh, yeah. What, what it called. was
1: called. Um, this one was on Modern Loss and it was also on Bitch uh, Magazine. And it was called What to Say and What Not to Say After Someone Has a Miscarriage. And basically it was just bubbles of like don't say this, do say this, don't say, because I feel like, you know, not everyone's up for an essay, particularly about this topic. And I thought, wait, why not help kind of create a go-to guide for people who don't want to read these, these intense stories. And then, so the cards then felt like a perfect next step because they, I wanted something that was concrete but obviously incredibly meaningful, um, that can be a way to connect after loss. Because so many women are talking about feeling alienated, feeling under-supported, feeling alone, feeling isolated, thinking something's wrong with them, receiving one of these cards. Or, you know, there's another card here that's about, um, you know, being pregnant after pregnancy loss. And who wouldn't want to receive that if, let's say, they had a stillbirth, Okay, so they give birth to a baby who's not alive at, at, you know, let's say 40 weeks. And then they're pregnant again and in that body. And so to get a card that just acknowledges.
0: Which, which says, I know how hard this must be for you to be pregnant after your loss. I understand that you're terrified. I'm here for you.
1: Simple. Yeah. A lot of the cards convey I think i mentioned this earlier a sense of consistency as well so it's call me morning noon or night or i'm here for you always because again we you know why we're not done empathizing or being close or having intimacy around this experience because it's been a week or a month
0: you know and sometimes i think it's nice even if you got a busy day to just text a friend and say you're in my thoughts, just want to remind you I love you. Yes. Those are those are nice things to
1: wonderful to
0: receive. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a casserole that you made with, with <laughs> organic good, ingredients though. from your <laughs> from your garden.
1: <laughs> no. But that sounds like a good. And idea. I and I
0: think it's something else that would be important to maybe kind of clarify is you know, we've talked about the spiritual component the forced growth of experiencing mm. trauma in the long run mm. the kind of the f- the forced gym membership of Seriously. your soul having to grow to cope yeah while that's certainly a truth mm. not a good thing for somebody to mention in the early stages of somebody else experiencing Thank that, that you. you're going to be better in the long run for this. That's, oh, God. Let that person discover that on their own.
1: Let the person who would say that fall off the cliff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Some people in a very well-meaning way, Dang. you know, uh that might be what they what they want to say is you're going to be stronger. Oh. You're going to be stronger for this.
1: No one wants to be stronger. Yeah. I didn't need to be stronger. You know I said that
0: <laughs> I said that to a friend of mine who was waiting for an artificial heart. Mm-hmm. And um it's at, at at the time it seemed like it seemed like a right the, the the right thing for for me to say uh to him but
1: well but, that, um, but literally he would be though
0: yeah but, <laughs> you know right so I I think he now have he really a heart want, that would I think work. what he really wanted to hear was I can't imagine how terrifying yeah. this must be yeah what can I do yeah to to help you today okay
1: so let's use that as an example it was it your uncomfortability with his vulnerability of going through this procedure, like, were you afraid he was going to die? Like what, why were you focusing oh. on a positive outcome rather than being right now?
0: Cause he wanted to die. He was tired of, um, Oh, it, going through it all. The, the, the weight, the meds, the, mm. the, and, and, and I know he doesn't mind me, uh, talking about this cause mm-hmm. he's been very uh, open, uh, about it. Um, and, and hopefully I'll have him as a, as a guest on the, the, the podcast. Um, he, he was just in a super, super dark place. And, and I think I did that need j- jerk reaction thing where you want to try to inject some positivity into it. Um, cause it was, I guess I was getting so uncomfortable or tired mm. of, mm. um, you know, I hate to call it self-pity because I've never been in his in his shoes and mm. I can't imagine what it would be like, but there was also a there was a component to what he was going through um where it wasn't the guy who was the fighter that that, that I knew. This guy's been a fighter his whole life. But
1: how long can you fight? And yes. that's the thing, you know. And I think it's actually some of my patients talk about having thoughts of not wanting to live anymore after a late loss or a baby loss. And I, I think that's completely within the realm of, of course. Oh, yeah. Right? So I just, this idea of, you know, fighting or being strong, it's exhausting. And sometimes we shouldn't have to be, and that should be okay. And having these thoughts of wanting to just give up, I think, can be validated. Like, yeah, of course you do. Why should you go through any more than what you've been through? You know.
0: So maybe it would be safe to say that just give them love and empathy and be have your ears open mm-hmm. and hope that, yeah. silently hope, that one day – they, they see some silver linings mm-hmm. to the awful thing that they that they had to to go through. Yeah, I that, mean, does I, that sound fair?
1: Yes, I think life doesn't let us not do that.
0: What does that mean? Meaning, I just got lost in your double. Night yeah, I mean,
1: because meaning, so much happens over the course of our lives. Wonderful things, traumatic things, and so we can't not try anyway to make meaning to try to deepen our lives somehow to try. I mean, because we wouldn't survive without...
0: Some people seem to do a pretty good job of just keeping their head down and not feeling, but I think...
1: No, agreed, but
0: it just seems like you're missing out on the best parts of life.
1: Yeah, and also then you're you're sort of opting for a life so limited that there probably won't be so much joy if you're also not able to experience the dread and the the sadness.
0: Well, then I got a lot of happiness coming my way.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, Look at you. You make everyone so. Laugh. There's there's going to be a uh, um, you give joy
0: an, an equal helping of. Uh, The opposite of dread. I look forward to that. (laughs) I woke up this morning with just such dread in my my bones. I do almost every morning. And by the time I've been up for like 15 minutes, I'm okay. But that first 15 minutes of being awake is just, I cannot face the day. I cannot. Is there some way I can finagle my schedule so that I can stay in bed longer? And it's not that I'm tired. It's I'm terrified to take on the day. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, I don't. I mean, what? I, I mean, is I this?
1: Did you feel this way as when you were a young boy? No. Mm-hmm. I this, felt
0: dread sometimes as a young boy, but I had friends. Um, in high school, this thing started to get kind of bad, and I and I medicated with alcohol and weed a lot but mm-hmm. I was a pretty happy uh, kid up until about 14 I think I don't know mm-hmm. I did a lot of laying on my back and staring at the light bulb in my bedroom for mm. an hour or two mm-hmm. at a time
1: so do, what do you do then in those moments in the morning do you talk yourself I mean how do you talk to yourself about this in order to you
0: really need to get up
1: Uh
0: uh-huh. um but I don't want to get up. It's like the I, the parent and the child. It's The the parent and the child in me are constantly bickering.
1: Oh, that's interesting, yeah.
0: I want to play my video game, but you've played your video game for the last two hours. But I don't feel... I want to feel happy. But if you just do this little bit of work and then play your video game, you'll feel better. But I don't want to do any work because it's not going to be good. <laughs> you know, it's... it's
1: so... I will make a little suggestion and see if it helps at all. Um, maybe try tomorrow morning to be if, I mean, if it's at all possible to be the parent that you wish that you had had. So a parent saying like, I don't know, you, you tell me what that might be, but like a gentle, I understand you feel dread. I've been there too. take a few minutes as you know, as your day goes on, you feel better. You know, like, I I would try to do what you wish you had heard, I guess, from one of your parents or both of them, or what you might say Mm -hmm. to your child if you had one.
0: You know, uh, my therapist had me, and I think that's a great idea, because my therapist gave me an exercise to do one time. Um, She said, talk to, at the age you were being abused, Mm. find a picture of yourself from that age. And talk to him, and I cried mm-hmm. so hard, yeah, and I was like buddy i 'm so sorry you 're such a good boy, you know you didn't you didn 't need to mm. you didn 't deserve any of that, and you were just trying you were trying so hard to yeah. keep everybody happy, yeah, and it 's not your fault good and it was it was really cathartic, yeah, and then I sent him to his room. <laughs> Time out. Because deep down, he's evil.
1: <laughs> deep
0: down, he's rotten. See, deep down, it was even all my, his fault. <laughs> even, even my my inner parent has to be a little bit abusive. Uh-uh. No. Nope. Um, I want to make sure that we got some of the important questions that people... Sure. Well, this person says uh, I still mourn the loss of my 14-week fetus, and that was 18 years ago. Oh, so I, 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 pro- wow. I don't think it probably I, right. I don't think you probably ever get over. The- but
1: again, you know, for everybody, it's different. And all yeah. I want is for that person to not judge that and not compare herself to other people.
0: And and as the friend, to not assume that person is experiencing it. If you had a miscarriage, exactly, that you didn't experience. Exactly. Super, super intensely. Right. And it doesn't haunt you.
1: But she may have people saying yeah. to her like, "Seriously, move on." You know, like people yeah. might say things like that or feel things like that about her loss. Right. But we we can't know what other people are going through and what what meaning they make of these mm-hmm. losses.
0: Uh, prenatal depression. What are what are some good resources uh, if people want to learn more about prenatal oh. depression?
1: Yeah. So.
0: Or do you want to just keep this one to pregnancy loss?
1: It's fine. Um no, that's that's fine. I would suggest for women struggling with perinatal and postpartum anxiety or depression to reach out to postpartum support international. Um another great resource is postpartum progress. She writes extensively um and has a wealth of you know information and resources mm. um, on these topics.
0: Are my daughters more likely to have PPD because I had it?
1: No, not necessarily. Okay. Um, one of the risk factors for postpartum depression, of course, is a family history of depression or one's own experience of depression in their lives. But um, you know, if she is doing well and perhaps she educates her daughters about um, depression or, or the fact that she had had postpartum depression when they're at an appropriate age, I guess, to hear that, they would then be able to get the help they need so that they don't have to go through something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, the important thing to note about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and postpartum all these things, all of these mood and anxiety disorders associated with um, childbirth, They're fully treatable, so getting help quickly is ideal, right? So people don't have to go on and grit their teeth and suffer. It in no way means somebody is a bad mother or that they don't love their child. Um, You know, the the media shows us images of mostly psychotic, you know, postpartum psychosis, and they call it postpartum depression. Mm. So people seem to have an idea that women with postpartum depression harm their children, and that's just not true. Psychologically, it can be harmful to, to her and to her mm. child or children if she doesn't get
0: help. And it's also common for Somebody, or I should say, at least not unusual for somebody with PPD to have intrusive thoughts, but there isn't a correlation between those intrusive thoughts and the probability that they're going to act on them. It's just kind of their their mind playing a a film festival um, that they don't really have control over. That's
1: a really great way to think of it. Um, That's how
0: I look at my mind, I think. Have you ever been to the uh, Sick and Twisted uh, Animation Festival? No. It's hilarious. Really funny festival they do with really fucked up cartoons. And one day I kind of had an epiphany and I went oh, that's my mind just kind of plays these films that I don't necessarily have control over Mm. and I should just be amused by them instead of Thinking that it's a moral judgment on who I am, because Mm -hmm. we don't have power over what thoughts pop into our brains. Right.
1: But when you do have a newborn who is solely dependent on you for care, it is incredibly important to deal with these intrusive thoughts because... You know, it sounds like you can actually have some fun with it and just observe it and not get scared. By I share
0: it. them with friends. Yeah, you know, so uh, it's part of your comedy. Yeah, but I'm also right? not a, I'm not a parent. So.
1: Right, and yeah. so if you had never had this, and then you had this with you know a three month old in your hand and you were or in your arms and you were mm-hmm. alone all day and you're scared you're going to do this or that, you just need to get help. It's there. It is there, and medication. You know, in combination with psychotherapy, can be incredibly stabilizing and helpful.
0: And so that would, the the best thing would be if somebody's starting to, if a, a mom with a newborn starting to have intrusive thoughts, to reach out to um, a psychologist or an MD.
1: Definitely. I mean, I would start by you know talking to one's partner if they feel they can, because mm-hmm. a lot of women go silent because it's so stigmatized in our culture, and they fear that. The partner and even their family and friends will think that they're a bad mother. You wanted to be a mother so badly. How can you feel this way? You know, you went through all this to get a baby. How can you not be so excited and in love with your baby? It's
0: like saying you love food. How could you be a diabetic? Exactly. (laughs) You know,
1: it's sort of like this isn't what they want. This isn't their plan. But again, people have to, you know, we have to be present with what is actually going on. You could spend months and months hoping it'll go away, and oh, if I just exercise and I get fresh air and I drink more water and I blah, blah, blah. Um, those things can, of course, be helpful. But if you're having something like intrusive thoughts, exercise is not going to squash that.
0: Yeah.
1: So reaching out, yeah, I would say, you know, if you can inform your partner and then reaching out to your OBGYN would be great. And, or, you're a psychologist if you have one and particularly somebody who actually specializes in these things and um, a psychiatrist who really knows these things particularly if a woman is breastfeeding
0: what are some other things is there anything else you'd like to touch on or share about
1: <sighs> have you talked to your mom
0: I haven't it's been three years Three years. Um, we tried doing letters for a while. Um, I think. I think. I don't know. The last time I talked to you was I did, doing letters. I can't. I can't I think remember so. um, because I thought, well, you know, m- this feels safer to me than mm-hmm. talking to her. And I was going back and forth on whether or not to fly home and confront her. Mm-hmm. You know, I had written a letter about all the things that. She did that were creepy, and you know, I thought qualified as as certainly covert uh, incest because um, mm. none of it was really overt, as you know. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, I I, I can do letters because um, it just it feels safer. And so I asked her. You know, I said I never brought the topic up. Of you know, I think what I experienced was. Incest, etc. I just said, um, let's try writing letters, um, but I don't want to talk about the past. Mm-hmm. And two letters in, she she uh, said, uh, well, maybe a relative of yours um, abused you when you were babysitting, and I hadn't even brought the topic up. I knew that she just she knew that i was experiencing some type of mental breakdown mm. and um and it just i just i felt all of that sadness and all of that um feeling overwhelmed come over again uh that oh this is this is going to be fucking complicated and mm. and i was depressed for 2 weeks and i might have sent one more letter and then she basically said, the last letter that that i read of hers she was basically saying that you have decided to be depressed that this is your decision to Mm. be depressed this is your it's because of your your attitude and i'm sure she didn't completely mean it that way but she's just a sick person and i just that was my last straw of trying to to have but i i struggle with the guilt i'd say when i first cut contact with her it was 80% 80% guilt, 20% sticking up for myself and now it's 80% sticking up for myself, 20% guilt. Wow. But because she's getting older and older, I mm. do um and she broke her hip recently, so So you have a brother? I have a brother. Yeah, and yes. he talks to her. He talks to her. Right. Okay. And um and he he and I both feel the same way about her. He, she never did anything to him. Um but so he understands. And he supports me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which means he, a he lot wants to me to remain in contact he's a very either. traditional guy, uh-huh. and he wants his his grandsons to to have a grandmother uh, or his sons to have a grandmother mm-hmm. um, so uh i I understand that, but I feel guilty that i don't take care mm. of her uh, even though she 's financially okay. you know my dad made sure that she had you know she was set up okay before he died, um, but I do still feel that guilt sometimes. And, um,
1: so how do you think, how does the guilt manifest, do you think, in your life?
0: I feel like a bad son sometimes. Um, and I still feel, um, I still feel dirty. I still feel, um, I have sexual fantasies, um, related to the abuse, um you know where where i imagine myself going back in time where i'm that boy again but i'm in charge now oh
1: mhm
0: as opposed to yeah. her being in in charge and mm-hmm. it's nothing where where and i hope this isn't too gross or, or or graphic but i feel like it's an important thing to talk about because yeah. it causes me distress yeah um It's not, it's not, um, I don't say this. I don't, in the fantasy, I don't picture her being naked. I picture me at that age Mm
1: -hmm.
0: being naked, but manipulating the situation to become sexual. Mm -hmm. Or I picture it with a a mom who's safe, Mm -hmm. or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a girl on the block who would have been five years older than me at that point someone who yeah. w- would it would have made the abuse nurturing where mm-hmm. I would have not felt um, tricked does that make sense a lot but it it um, I hate it I hate mm. that that is
1: it's insidious
0: that that uh, yeah. goes on in my brain sure. yeah, and it's most of painful. the th- most of the time I can laugh about it uh, I'll share about <laughs> it with friends you know, and, and, I, and I'm I'm kind of proud and kind of ashamed that mm-hmm. I'm able to talk about it mm-hmm. um, in a forum like this. But I know there are other people out there that experience the same thing. I get yes. emails from them. Oh, yeah. They're like, I just woke up. I had a dream. I was fucking my dad. And I'm and I'm totally disgusted and mm-hmm. totally turned on mm-hmm. right now and i just want to throw myself off a cliff mm-hmm. and i'm like i understand
1: mm-hmm.
0: i understand i know mm-hmm. it's my brain's way of going back in a time machine and trying to yeah have, exactly m- make sense of it and take control and
1: master it yeah i think that makes so much sense yeah and i think it's important for people to just remember that feelings and thoughts aren't necessarily facts so having a fantasy of wanting to do something doesn't mean you'd actually want to do it it's a fantasy um and i think especially in situations where people felt used or manipulated to have fantasies of being in control makes all the sense in the world
0: even though you're being quote-unquote abused in the fantasy it's because you're choosing to be there it But then it's it's not really, but that
1: changes it. Yeah, exactly. It's not abuse in the same way. It's still an abuse, I guess, in terms of the age difference. And I mean, that sounds, you know, like it would be inappropriate, of course, but, but if you are feeling like, you know, I don't know, in charge is the only word I can think of or in control or something that's so different than probably how you felt. I mean, you probably felt so.
0: I felt tricked and small and exposed, you know. Um, and I just shoved it. I just shoved it
1: What else are you going to do? Yeah. And you're choosing to be depressed. That's what she says. There you go.
0: But I feel like in the last three years, I feel an overall forward movement. I feel myself healing. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Well, I do think that no matter one's, you know, horrendous history, when there is space, you're not being heard anymore. So you might have tons of memories from all the years you interacted with her, but to start to not have years of more pain or more discomfort Mm -hmm. or more inappropriate stuff you know, or more just triggers like her denying your history, then you can actually work this through.
0: That's why I chose not to go uh, yeah. confront her. Right. Because I knew she, that it would just reopen that, that wound.
1: That's precisely. Yes.
0: I, th- I think one of the things that I struggle the, the most with um, today is missing Missing... Is that your stomach? Yeah. <gasps> um, feeling a void mm-hmm. in my life. That I know, yeah. you know, my therapist says, well, you're supposed to self-parent, and you fill that void, and blah, 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 blah. But I still feel that. I feel that hole almost every day. And but
1: what is the hole? You mean from not having a mother that you wish you had had?
0: I, and I think missing out on having that connection as exactly. a child. And yes. just feeling... Yep. Um, yeah. Because when I... As I started to feel connection to adults, yeah, that's when I realized, oh, I never felt that right. as a kid, right, right, and yes, and I struggle with with intimacy. Um, I'm terrified mm-hmm. of of intimacy. You know, my wife and I are working on it. Mm-hmm. I try to lay my head down in her lap sometimes and mm-hmm. let her stroke my hair and stroke my mm-hmm. head, and it. You know, and we'll crack jokes about the dogs and stuff, and that feels <laughs> it feels good and it feels comforting. But there's yeah. there are some times that I just I just want to, um, I want to be held and I want to cry, but I I feel like like the tears are in a rock buried mm-hmm. deep down inside me, and they're yeah. never gonna right. they're never gonna come out, yeah, and. But I feel that they're there. Mm-hmm.
1: I find it so interesting because I think in all the times we've talked, you, you mentioned this fear of intimacy. And yet what you're doing with this show and with every single guest is the most intimate thing I could
0: ever imagine. But it's self-contained. Right. It's self-contained. In my relationship with my wife it's complex because yes, we've been together a long ongoing. time. Yeah, we have that yeah, long history. That's right. And I get terrified, and mm-hmm. that, and there's times when but I just known. shut down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fully known because she fully. knows me as, as as much I think as yeah. as anybody else. Yes. Um, and my fear of being judged by her yeah. is much greater than my fear of anybody else judging mm, me. Right. Because yeah. I see her every day. Yes. And if I do something that grosses her out or that she thinks is um, bad then that makes it really hard for me to, to be vulnerable
1: I wonder though if you've been together long enough where you might kind of resign that fear I mean obviously it's easier said than done but she knows you she probably knows all the things that you share on the show, and, mm-hmm. and, and then some. She hasn't left. She probably will so That's won't. what she
0: says. That's what she says. But she it, says, yeah, I'm still here.
1: Right. So it's hard to believe her because you don't think you're worthy, I guess, of deep and ongoing connection. But you have it, and you've maintained it.
0: You know what? Maybe it is that, that, I, that I want, is I want her to maybe acknowledge those things that the things that i struggle with to say i i know you have low self-esteem because of Doesn't this she? and because of not really um if she does maybe it goes in one ear mm. and out the other mm-hmm. but we're we're in um you know we've been going to counseling together and oh, that's great that's helping but yeah.
1: I'm, a, I'm a fucking
0: handful you know i'm a fucking handful
1: she loves you
0: yeah Well, Jessica, thank you so much for for coming. Um, thank get,
1: you. It's so good to see you It's again. so good to
0: see you too. Yeah. And um I don't know if the word proud is an awkward you, <laughs> word to use uh for how I feel about this stuff that you do, but mm-hmm.
1: um Thank you.
0: You know, when I read an article that you've written or something written about you or like your project with the cards, um I get that awesome feeling I get with with certain friends of mine where I'm like I'm that person's friend. That's so oh, cool. You are. That's so that cool. That is the, yeah. the highest
1: compliment yeah. I could ever get. Thank you so much.
0: And the, the website for uh, the cards is
1: it is shop dr So shop dot. DrJessicaZucker.com. Okay, we'll yeah.
0: we'll put it up when we put this episode sure. up. Uh, we'll put the link yeah. on our on our website. And
1: thank you so much for wanting to honor. You know, the, this month, October is you know pregnancy loss and baby loss uh, awareness month. But then October fifteenth is the actual Remembrance Day. So it's really wonderful um, that you're including this in your show. Thank you.
0: All right, back at you. Many many thanks to uh, Dr Zucker. I always feel weird calling her Dr. Zucker because she's Jessica to me, but um, she's so comforting to to, to talk to. And what a great example of the manner in which a therapist um, converses with somebody, how important that is to draw things out of the the person they're talking to. And uh, we're gonna, um, in this surveys, I'm gonna read uh, in the latter half of of our show we're going to dive heavily into some of the people's experiences in in therapy. And of course, you know, some of the old standbys, shame and secret surveys, uh, a couple of awful some uh, awful some moments. Um, but before we get to that, I want to give some love to our uh, our sponsor for this week. Our sponsor is Howl.fm. And uh, Howl.fm is a brand new app and website that changes the way you think about podcasts. I'd say that's even an understatement. Uh, with Hall Premium, you get exclusive access to uh, dozens of original miniseries, you, uh, audio documentaries, uh, comedy albums by amazing comedians like Mitch Hedberg, Jim Gaffigan, Louis C.K., uh, former guests of this show who are great comedians, Jimmy Pardo, Jen Kirkman, uh, Karen Kilgariff, Baron Vaughn, Paul F. Tompkins, Maria Bamford, um just amazing, amazing content. You get all the archives from podcasts like WTF with Mark Marin and all the Earwolf shows like comedy Bang Bang or How Did This Get Made or Who Charted or Ronna and Beverly with the the great Jamie Denbo, um former guest. Uh the Howell original miniseries are, are unique. I could go on and on about all this stuff. Um just trust me that it is a great, great deal. Um and a huge, huge archive of uh, of great shows, and you can get access to all this exclusive content uh, either on your iPhone or your Android uh, or the web. Uh, actually, all three uh, for only four ninety nine a month. Uh, and if you use the promo code Mental, you get a full month of free trial. Uh, so to redeem your promo code, make sure you create your account at the web uh, on the web at the uh, Howl FM website and enter code mental at checkout once again go to howl.fm that's h-o-w-l.fm and use the promo code mental for one month free trial of howl premium the helicopters are coming in to signal that i'm i'm done with that it's time to move on this is um well you know what i was going to plug the whole thing about our website and supporting the show but i actually don't even feel like doing that Let's just get into some surveys. Um and by the way, that, that I really battled uh, that last portion of the the uh interview with uh with Dr. Zucker. Um I really debated whether or not to leave that in because I'm even though I've talked about the sexual fantasy stuff before on the podcast, um it's it's so scary sometimes to Put stuff out there into the into the ether um, and wondering whether or not I'm going to be judged. And I know there will be people that will that will think I'm weird or 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 judge me or whatever. But um the feedback that I get makes it worth it, but it it's the positive feedback. I don't know if I've ever gotten negative feedback. I guess people probably just keep it to themselves, but I guess I, I'm afraid that you guys are going to think that I'm an exhibitionist, and I just want you to know how much I wrestle with putting things like that out there sometimes, because um, it does scare me. But I feel like if we don't do that, if we don't move, if we don't open the dialogue on these taboo subjects, um, we're not going to move forward as 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 people. If we don't all do a little bit every day to try to. Talk about the stuff that scares us and brings us shame. And all right, now I've said enough. Now I want to go back and erase that and the other part. This is from the My First Day in Therapy website, and uh, there are no names on this one. It just uh, says uh, age and sex, and this was filled out by a woman who's in her twenties um, or between twenty-six and thirty-five, and. Um, What brought her to therapy? Bulimia, eating disorder not otherwise specified, PTSD, anxiety, and depression. What fears did you have with starting therapy? I was afraid that confidentiality wouldn't be held. I was really afraid of being hospitalized. Also afraid that if I shared some of my deepest struggles, the therapist would think I was a disgusting person. Did any of these fears come true? Uh, Well, we're considering inpatient, but I haven't been forced into hospitalization. The rest did not come true for sure. Uh, What has worked best for you in therapy? There were a few things that were important for me. The room had had to be safe. I needed to know I could see the door and that I was closest to the door. The biggest thing is that my therapist didn't rush me to trust her. It took me like a half dozen sessions before I trusted her enough to start the deeper stuff. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? The thing that surprised me about my current therapist is that she didn't go anywhere too fast so I could slowly trust her. Um, Do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? I wasn't at first. Uh, I was afraid she would certify me, and uh, I would often lie when asked about suicidal thoughts. As I got to trust her more, we talked about it, and now I can talk about it because she has promised me that she won't call the pet team unless I can't contract by end of session. Um, This was when I was really uh, trusting her with my deeper stuff too. Anything you'd like to share with a group of new therapists? I've seen a few therapists before this one. They did not work for me. I had one tell me that she was ending the session after 20 minutes in my third session because I couldn't talk to her freely. I had another one who referred me out, but she told me with five minutes left in the session and didn't explain why, just that I couldn't see her again. I've had trouble to this day knowing what I did wrong. On a good note, my therapist now has a really cool thing she does with me when I have trouble verbalizing. She hands me a pen and a paper and will let me draw it out, write it out, or express feelings other ways because I have a lot of trouble uh, with words when my feelings come out. She doesn't have a background in art therapy or anything, but she helps me express things in verbal and nonverbal ways. It sounds like you have an awesome therapist, and that is one of life's greatest gifts. Um, this is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a woman who calls herself R, and uh Snapshot from her life her her biggest um, issue is anxiety and snapshot from her life she writes um, I've recently become friends with a boy who I know was into me and have had increasingly bad panic attacks since meeting him. I'm 21, never had sex, and masturbated only once in my life. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do if this becomes a relationship environment, and this frightens me to the core. Will I have a panic attack and throw up in front of him and lose him as a friend? Will he realize that I'm just super fucked up and not want, want to hang out with me anymore? Do I even reciprocate the crush he has on me? It's building up inside me, and every day I wake up so anxious and worried about my situation." you know, when I read this, my first thought was she could really benefit from doing meditation because all of the stuff that's winding you up is all in the future. And meditation is a way to ground ourselves in the present moment. And I think that would, that would really help you or something, something to to help you, um, connect to the, to the present moment and, and to get, get off of that, uh, that spaceship into the future—that is so—that I totally relate. I totally relate to that. Uh, when I meditate in the morning, I can't tell you how many times I find myself obsessing about the podcast. Where is it going? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And that's—that's that's not necessarily an unhealthy thing, but the degree to which I ruminate about uh, that, or you know, maybe a relationship that's on the rocks that I'm that I'm having, where I, you know let a friend down or whatever. Um, This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Donna A. She is gay. She is uh, in her 20s. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, she writes, my mom used to leave me with my aunt when I was between four to six years old because she had decided to go back to school and finish her degree. My older siblings were old enough to go to school and I was the only one in her way and she decided to use my aunt as a babysitter. What is known in our family but never discussed is that my aunt almost always acts sexually inappropriate around children. She's been doing that since my mother was a child. Uh, parentheses, my aunt is much older. She doesn't do anything too obvious to get caught, but she does things like walking around the house topless, calling you in the bathroom to hand her something while she is naked, or sticking her hand in your underwear and touching your ass, making it seem like she is just hugging you. Uh, She would leave her hand there and keep looking at you until you couldn't ignore the uncomfortable feeling anymore and had to look her in the eyes and recognize her action. Oh that is so, that is so subtly violent. That is, it. There is such anger in that. Uh, she writes, Thinking about it still makes me sick 20 years later. She shared once that stuff uh, was done to her when she was a child. It makes me sick that people in the family refuse to recognize her for what she is, and they still continue having her babysit for them regardless of my warnings. I cut contacts with my parents five years ago. Uh, She's been emotionally abused, but she's never been physically abused. She writes, my parents didn't have money to provide uh, beyond bottom line necessities, and they would make us feel guilty for wanting anything more, saying, you don't understand our situation. No, fuckers. I'm a child. I don't understand your situation. (laughs) Any positive experiences with your abuser? My aunt would go on and on about how beautiful and special I was to everyone we knew, and at the time, I thought she actually meant it, and it felt really good. Now, thinking about it makes me want to throw up. What are your darkest thoughts? Um, I'm tired of human beings. I don't want to see them. I don't want to deal with them. Even my friends whom I love, I can't stand them beyond an hour or so. I just want to go to bed and get lost in my own thoughts. Darkest secrets. I don't regret anything I've done. Um, Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I have a pretty low drive to begin with, and being on antidepressants has completely shut down any interest in sex. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my parents, fuck both of you assholes. Don't have children if you can't take care of them. Please die a little faster. To the wives slash girlfriends of any guy I talked to who I thought was pursuing something, I'm gay. If anything, he should be worried about you. What, if anything, do you wish for? For the world to go away and to live in a limbo all by myself until my life ends. No pain, no pleasure, no goals, no needs, just sweet nothingness. Have you shared these things with others? I have at times. I have great friends that listen, but I have to soften my thoughts before it comes out because I don't want to burden them. How do you feel after writing these things down? Relief. It feels good to get them out. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I hear you, buddy exclamation point thank you Donna thank you for sharing that this is um, and you know uh, also Donna I was thinking as I was reading your thing that that the the shutting down and the isolating yeah that can I think that can be something that's driven by depression but I think that's also a really common thing for people who've been sexually um, abused and you know even though what you described was covert you know, as I say often on the podcast, there doesn't have to be touching for something to be um, uh, violent. You know, what What your aunt did to you is, is violent. And actually, she was, you know, when she would make you look her in the eyes. Um, but all of that stuff, it's um, don't underestimate um, how much that can make us pull away from the world. Because to this day, I struggle with oh, every day wanting to after about an hour of being around people just wanting to pull away, and I'm working on it. Um, This is from the uh, first day in therapy. This is filled out by a uh, woman who's between 18 and 25. Uh, What brought you to therapy? I was at a low point in my life and I have trouble talking to people, uh, to people I know about the feelings I have. Any fears associated with going. Like anyone else, judgment. Fear, I'm not gonna click with my therapist worried they will be impatient with me, taking a while to talk openly about things. Did any of those fears come true? No. What works best for you in therapy? I found that it was good for me to be able to have an unbiased opinion about the events going on in my life. I think I got the most of my overall talking done at therapy. I think I should have been more honest and open about some things. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? He cleared his throat a lot, which drove me crazy. Other than that, he was okay do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? Mostly. There were some issues I did not feel comfortable discussing just because I never knew how to bring it up. I was mostly honest with him because I knew I was paying money to go there and be honest. Uh, Ha ha. He wasn't judgmental of me and I liked that. Uh, Any suggestions for a group of new therapists? Don't give advice unless you're asked for it. Thank you for that. This is uh, from the shame and secret survey. And this is just, <laughs> this, is, this actually should be an awful moment. Um, this is uh, filled out by a woman who calls her herself ashamed uh, and secretive. And it, it, it was just a one thing I want to read her, her darkest secret. Um, she writes, uh, even though I didn't know what actually happened during intercourse, when I was a child, if I met a woman I didn't like, I would imagine her being gang raped by the Oak Ridge Boys. This sounds totally made up, but it's completely true. Some of this shit you cannot make up. Thank you for sharing that. Um this was filled out by a guy who calls himself John. Uh this is Shame and Secret Survey and I just wanted to read an excerpt of that. His darkest thoughts. Um he writes, "I regret getting married sometimes, many times, but my wife is a spectacular woman." Very physically beautiful, leaves me wanting nothing sexually, smart, works hard, etc. I just hate that I got married so young. Even as much as we love each other, there are many times I regret not doing the things I wanted to do prior to getting married and having kids. There are many times I literally want to get out of bed in the middle of the night and leave and never come home. Leave them all. uh, Leave them with all of my burdens and responsibilities. There are times when I hate myself for not living my life first than dealing with everyone else's total regret sometimes. Thank you. And I can tell you I've read versions of that in so many of the surveys. And you're not alone in that. And my hat is off to, to those of you that show up for your kids Especially on the days when you feel like you don't have it in you to do it. I can't imagine how hard that is because I just fucking go to bed. <laughs> I suppose I show up and then I do this podcast every every week, but it's a lot easier doing this podcast than raising kids. Um, This is uh, First Day in Therapy, filled out by a woman between 26 and 35. Her issues are uh, anxiety, depression, emotional and physical and sexual abuse, uh, covert incest and trust issues. Any fears associated with starting therapy, judgment, shame, sharing myself with someone who is, is as cold and uncaring as the people that caused me to seek therapy in the first place. Did any of your fears come true so far? No. My therapist has been incredibly kind, understanding, nonjudgmental and emotionally present. Uh, what's worked best for you in therapy actually all of the things listed are things that my therapist has included in sessions so far and it is helping tremendously um all of the things listed oh um as an example i put in the survey or actually katie put the survey together having a safe place to be completely honest learning new coping skills homework venting etc so all of those things helped her uh, what were your initial impressions of your therapists? I'm so lucky to have found someone that I could trust to be open with. In fact, I felt incredibly guilty for not being 100% honest about some of the reasons I was seeing my therapist in the first place. When I did open up about the things that I omitted, once again, my therapist was incredibly understanding and comforting. Um, do you feel you can be completely honest? Uh, yes, as above, I was not 100% open with my therapist about my reasons for seeking therapy, for fear of being judged in extreme shame. But when I admitted that I was not completely upfront, he told me that he completely understood and I didn't have to feel guilty about not being forthcoming. And that set the stage for us to discuss things in more detail. Fantastic. God, that just makes my day. Just makes my day when I read, I read people having an experience like that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself fucked up. He is gay. He's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, He's never been sexually abused. Uh, He's been emotionally abused. He writes, growing up, my parents were miserable alcoholics. Is there any other kind? (laughs) They constantly made me feel bad about myself, and I was always grounded. Uh, Any positive experiences? Uh, He didn't write anything darkest thoughts I'm the beneficiary of my aunt and uncle's life insurance policies I live with them sometimes I fantasize about their deaths the money I would inherit and how I could finally have the house to myself how would you not fantasize about that yeah I would send you to be hospitalized if you didn't think about that at least once a day Or to your darkest secrets. In a depressive episode, I smoked crystal meth and had unprotected sex with a man who was HIV positive. He said his viral count was low and I didn't have to worry. That was two years ago and I still haven't been tested. I am terrified of the test result, so I try to ignore it because I don't want to know. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm attracted to teenagers between 16 and 20. I don't plan on acting on it, and thinking about it makes me feel like a pervert. I hate myself don't hate yourself you know uh, th- 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 there's a reason that there can be a physical attraction to um uh, people at that age because that was the age you know 2000 years ago that our ancestors did breed at so you know genetically that that's in there what's important is you're you're not hitting on people that are uh underage that's all that matters Have you shared these things with others? I've never shared this because I know if I did, whoever I told would hate me forever. Oh, you're being so hard on yourself. And that is coming from me. So let that fucking sink in. How do you feel after writing these things down? Disgusted with myself and my pathetic life. Oh, buddy, I just want to give you a hug. I just want to give you a hug. I would love to hear more stories about religious abuse. Um... The episode with the guy who escaped Scientology is my favorite one. Yeah, that is a great episode with Derek Block. Another great one is Jul, uh, Julene, uh, Julie Julie um, J. Check out the episode with with Julie J. That's a that's a good one. Sip a tea. This is a first day in therapy filled out by a woman no but very few guys have filled out the first day in therapy uh surveys so uh guys if you're out there uh sitting on the couch with your crank in your hand go wash your hands get on the computer and fill these out uh she uh what brought her to therapy um massive amounts of anxiety and several physical problems i believe are related to mental health constipation nausea and migraines and then i just wanted to read an excerpt from this um what has worked best best for you in therapy? And she writes validation and then like five exclamation points. Also, I have a lot of issues with my mom who is really invalidating and controlling. And anytime I tell her about a problem, she tries to tell me what I should be doing to solve it. So anytime a therapist sort of does that, it really bugs me. I was afraid this lady was going to do that about my anxiety, like trying to tell me to do breathing exercises or trying to examine my schedule and figure out how to manage my workload or something. And if she had, I was going to tell her to shove it. Thankfully, she didn't go there. In my second visit, instead, she suggested we start right away on EMDR, which is exactly what I want. She asked me for 10 traumatic experiences and I gave them to her. Afterwards, she said, it sounds like your parents didn't know how to parent and they really did a number on you. Just repeating that makes me cry and shake. It feels so good to be heard and validated. I just needed to hear from an expert that these things that felt so bad were really so bad. I mean, there's still more work to do after that, but I really, really needed to hear that from her. Love it, love it. This is a same survey filled out by a guy, yay, who um, uh, is in his, uh, he's between 26 and 35. Uh, what brought him to therapy? I was a teenager. My lifelong struggle with depression started between sophomore and junior year of high school. I had been rejected romantically, and my cliques started to shun me. Now, I understand, it was also biological. I was basically crying all the time. My parents did their best to keep me active, but if they didn't push me, I'd stay in bed crying. Things got very dark for me. Finally, after a couple of months, I went to therapy and got on medication. Any fears associated with starting therapy? I was afraid of being judged by my therapist for pining over a girl. I was afraid of being seen as a loser without any friends. I was afraid of medication. Not sure why. I just knew there was a bias against it. Maybe I was afraid of them changing me. Mostly, I was afraid that I wouldn't get better. Did any of your fears come true? None. What worked best for you in therapy? I don't remember much of my first therapist helping me. I left him shortly after the medication started working. I started therapy again in college. He taught me how to conceptualize a problem. I had a lot of thinking problems, overactive imagination, lots of what-ifs. That affected my social interactions and my success in school. He also called me on my shit, particularly in using humor to avoid serious emotional engagement. What were your initial impressions of your therapists? All my therapists have seemed to be kind, gentle people. Soft tones of voices, smile, pleasant demeanors. My college therapist also had a well-behaved dog, which put me more at ease and gave me a bit of a happy feeling. Any? uh, Do you feel that you can be completely honest with your therapist? No, I have social anxiety disorder, which has been explained to me uh, as a serious phobia of public humiliation. In particular, I was a virgin until 30. I never told that to any of them. Just a general, imprecise, I'm very sexually inexperienced. Um, Anything you'd like to share with a new group of therapists? Just give them a sense of hope. Tell them progress might be slow, that things will be hard, but in the long run, the patient will get better. Thank you for that. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself KW. And he writes, I buried my family cat of 14 years with my friend. When it came time to putting the box in the grave, I started crying and asked to throw in the first shovel full of dirt. The dirt immediately crashed through the top of the box, revealing my dead cat's still, peaceful face. We all took a few seconds to process the moment and then busted out laughing. My life has never felt more like a black comedy, and I absolutely loved it. My dark sense of humor helped me appreciate how ridiculous it all was. Uh love a good, awful moment. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself stunted. Um, And I just wanted to read an excerpt from her uh, survey. Her Darkest Secret, she writes, I have had a crippling compulsive gambling problem for about three years. I've shared with a couple of people in my family, but only when my back was against the wall and I needed to be bailed out. I have raised two children by myself and we have had to lie... And have had to lie my ass off when telling them why we didn't have enough money for many groceries, any groceries, school clothes, and extras. We've had a roof over our heads, barely, beside the fact that I was making a low salary. I was gambling every chance I got. I have kept this a secret from my closest friends and continue to struggle. I've had so many close calls and almost not being able to pull myself out of the wreckage. I gambled to escape and then gambled to gain more chaos. I think, uh, I think. It's a terrible struggle, and I want to stop more than anything. I despise 12-step programs, and I don't have much of a community. I respect the work which is done in groups, but I have terrible anxiety and don't believe in walking into a room claiming that I, quote, am, insert addiction here. Um, Making that claim every time that I go to a meeting that gambling is the whole of my existence makes me sick to my stomach. My fucked-up brain takes that and makes excuses when I say, Uh, When I say that, I mean, after all, I am, quote, insert addiction here. That is what I do, not who I am. I stay away from that if possible. I can't explain it, but it does not work for me. I am, however, not above going to a therapy type group or getting one-on-one help. I have hope after listening to your podcast that I am not alone. You are not alone. And, you know, what if when you went to these groups, you said, uh, I struggle with gambling. You know, I'm addicted to gambling. Wouldn't that be a a way that you could identify without saying I am an addict? Couldn't you say I have uh, a gambling addiction? If anybody took exception to you saying that, uh, give them my number and I'll tell them to go fuck themselves for you. Um, But, you know, my thought um, about getting help is the most important thing in getting help is being open to it coming in a form that you're not crazy about. Because a lot of our sicknesses, especially around addictions, come with a huge set of wired in preconceived notions and past experiences that bias us towards things that we haven't fully investigated. And... You know, I just had the first time I read your survey, I had an image of, you know, a bus pulling up to help you at a bus stop, and you saying, "I'm just going to wait for a, a, you know, a Ferrari to come give me a ride." Just get on the fucking bus, you know. Just get on the bus for a while. Have an open mind, and. And see what happens. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? I feel a bit closer to getting some help. I'm in a lot of pain and very, very alone with these thoughts and actions. I am hurting others, though. I want it to stop. Well, how badly do you want it to stop? You know, because for some people, um, certain types of groups are the only thing that that works for them. You know, so I would say try those other things, and if those don't work. Start trying the things that come in the form that you're not crazy about and just be, be open-minded. That's all. That's all. I hope that's not too pushy. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by um, a woman who calls herself Specimen B39. And she writes, I spent a year believing I was the subject of an experiment whereby my life was being recorded using smartphones, hidden cameras, hypnosis, and then played back to me via the world around me. TV, billboards, people on the street who I thought were actors acting out scenes from my life. It was always the darkest, most shameful, and embarrassing moments that were played back to me. So when colleagues or loved ones who were trying to understand what I was going through asked me what exactly it was I was seeing, I couldn't tell them, or I would completely humiliate myself in the process. I would have to say, this TV show is about a big lie, I told you, or that billboard is about how I'm going to... uh, is about how I'm carrying a used tampon in my bag because I couldn't find a bin to put it in. So I just kept quiet. One day I broke down at work believing that my work computer had been hacked and that everything I was viewing on there had been put up by the people running the experiment and that YouTube um, and that the YouTubes I was watching were referencing my life. Nobody at this point realized I had psychosis. So my boss had the IT guys come in and ask me how to sh- Asked me to show them what was wrong. He asked me to get up the YouTube in question. It was of a woman stroking her cat on a bed and talking to it. I believed that it was a veiled reference to me masturbating. In parentheses, woman strokes pussy type thing. These three young IT guys watched the YouTube with me, looking puzzled and exchanging glances with each other. Then the head of the IT turned to me and said, so why is it that you think this YouTube is about you? About you? I went bright red and just mumbled, uh, it's hard to explain really. It's complicated. Whilst they all shot glances at each other. I have must I must have had a thousand toe-curling incidents whilst psychotic, but that awkward moment was a peach. Uh, the episode with Megan P um is is a good one. Um she had a couple of uh there's two episodes with her where she describes, um, having experienced, uh, psychosis and they're really, really good episodes. This is, this is a shame and secrets one. On, let me get a sip of tea. This is a shame and secrets one filled out by a woman who calls herself laughing on the inside. I swear. And, uh, no, here comes the theme music. Not yet. Not yet. Um, she is, identifies, uh, she's female. She says, butchy, not a lesbian, probably bi or pansexual. She is, um, in her thirties, uh, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. She writes, Hippie parents, alcoholism, marijuana farm, lived off the grid when I was in grade school with no, electric- no electricity and no TV, lots of emotional neglect, some physical abuse, significant emotional abuse. Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, hippie parents, mom was naked a lot and talked about her sexual conquests, sex life in general, and various physical uh, in parentheses, genital attributes and details of her and her various boyfriend's bodies and sex behaviors. have seen her having sex when I was in high school. I uh, have seen many of her male friends nude in various states of arousal. She always implied that she thought my father, quote, did something to you, but I don't remember anything happening, except one time he talked about the symptoms of various STDs on the penis My mom treated me like a friend, and I wish she hadn't. She also treated me like I was her mother or partner. I spent most of my teenage years trying to behave just right, uh, like perfect, uh, so she would stop dating and or fucking so many random people all the time. Of special note, my birth, gender, and identification at that point in my life was female, so it was really weird trying to be the man of the house. Um, She told us, me and my two younger sisters, all sorts of terrible and questionably true things about her relationship with my father. I know this is not as bad as some other other people's experiences, and I know that that fact doesn't invalidate my feelings, Uh, but I have deep confusion and shame now about my sexuality and sex in general. This has made a sexless marriage really confusing, and now I'm in my mid-30s, which is supposed to be a female sexed person's sexual peak and horny as hell, wondering about everything and whacking off to questionable imagery in my head. She's been physically abused and emotionally abused. She writes, physically abused by both parents, though more often my father, emotional abuse by my mother. Definitely some emotional incest with her, but she was also generally a giant bully and incapable of being there emotionally. I think she is bipolar or has borderline personality disorder, but she has never been diagnosed. She's an alcoholic, in my opinion, and though she's only in her early 60s, I think she's showing signs of early uh, or alcoholic dementia. I feel bad for her because she doesn't really have any friends anymore and she's always changing jobs. I feel so overwhelmed by the complexity of our relationship that I don't really know where to start or what to say about what has been happening between us. The short version is that basically, because I was violent with my sisters because my father was violent with me. When I became self-aware in middle school, my mother used my behavior as a way to shame me into behaving the way she wanted me to. I understand that she was protecting my sisters, but she made me believe that I was a bad person for having feelings of anger or sadness, that I was too sensitive. She actually gave me a book called, Are You Too Sensitive? question mark for my birthday one year. And that I was just like my father who I hated and she hated. She would always tell me that she was going to call the authorities and they were going to come take me away if I didn't behave, or after she divorced my dad, that she would make me live with him, implying further physical abuse from him. She read my journals until I started writing them in French and shamed me about crushes, which I never admitted having in the first place because I was ashamed of having them. Crushes felt like feelings, like anger, like sadness. She told me she didn't care that I was a cutter because I was just doing it for attention. I could go on and on. The whole thing makes me exhausted and sad and angry, and I feel damaged beyond repair. Although I'm starting to deal with it in therapy, it just really feels insurmountable and pointlessly overwhelming. Any any, um, positive experiences with your abusers? My mom is ironically one of the only people I really feel okay being myself with now. Uh, I've established really good boundaries with her and deeply appreciate her ability to be silly and loving no matter how much we might have fought. She is the person I know who comes closest to sometimes being able to love unconditionally. It's sad that what I consider the quote, real her is only available infrequently and unpredictably. I worry terribly that she's going to die soon and all the magic will be sucked out of my life. Darkest thoughts. This is the scariest. I think that power and control over other people is the biggest turn-on for me, and maybe the only thing that really gives my life meaning. I try not to act this out. My sex life is solitary, despite being married. My husband has some major anxiety issues of his own and is afraid to make physical contact beyond a hug and brief kiss, so my options are limited to masturbation. My sex fantasies are the scariest thing to me. I get off on scenarios of raping people, including children and infants, and I hate having to use those images. Sometimes I tone it down with my old standby bestiality. It's a good thing I was born without a dick, because if I had one, I'd be able to be the monster I am in my head. I also often think about killing myself, but know that I can't act on it because I lost my first love to suicide, and I know the impact left behind. So suicidal thoughts are just an escape fantasy and relief valve for me. I still remember from when I was a violent child how satisfying and good it felt to hurt someone, so sometimes when I'm angry, I go to violent places. I have had to put down small animals in the past, uh, in parentheses, injured poultry, and I sometimes wonder how it would feel to kill larger animals and or a person. I imagine I would have mixed feelings, half good, half shame. I fear that only the shame my mother heaped upon me keeps me or kept me from acting out in the ways I think. I believe that I run a virtual conscience simulator to keep myself from getting into trouble and in order to effectively hide the shameful part of myself but I don't believe I share the same sense of right and wrong that the majority of American society does. Maybe this is because I still operate primarily from a survival mindset, or maybe I am wired differently. I've never been in a comfortable enough situation for long enough to find out if the shell would come off if I felt safe. Dar- well, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking that you're you're already in your 30s, um i think if you were a the monster that you think you are in your mind you would be acting on it i would think by this by this point you know it sounds to me like um all right let me let, let me just come Continue reading. Uh, Darkest secrets. I was a very violent child and repeated the abuse done to me on my younger sisters. I have a wicked wit and sharp tongue and have been very cruel with words as well. I regret many things I have done, both to others and to myself. I used to draw blood and to cut. I have dermatillomania, but not diagnosed. And when I was a child, I was quite mean to our cats. Look, but look at the things that were done to you as a child. You know, and, and none of this are you saying, as an adult, that you are. Um, abusing children or harming animals or, you know, um, it, you're, you're being really, really hard on yourself. And, and I have a letter that I want to read, um, from a listener that I, um, as soon as I'm done reading this, um, um sexual fantasy is most powerful to you raping, uh, having and using a dick, uh. She puts in parentheses, I have lady parts, exhibitionism, bestiality, underage victims, pressuring insecure people, uh, general sexual predation, desperate, uh, pregnant, teenage nymphomaniacs, interspecies porn. This makes me feel like I'm irreparably damaged and that I will never be able to really be myself with anyone because those thoughts and feelings are too far over the line. In fact, sometimes I hear on your podcast another other and written media, a host will say something that whenever a person's sexual fantasy is other people have it and don't be ashamed of it. I cannot believe that if I told someone, even a perfect, qualified, exceptional professional about this, that they tell me not to be ashamed because, quite frankly, these are the thoughts and fantasies of a monster, a person who would destroy others' other lives if they were to act these out. And maybe even if they were to tell anyone the truth, uh, details of what they think and feel, I just have to live with knowing there's an unforgivable grievous and inhuman part of me and try to keep it hidden protect others from my true self and be a good person and live a good life despite it it's the actions not the thoughts i just want to remind you that it is anyway you know i was i was uh, having um a coffee with a friend today and we were talking about shame and I was saying that you know my perfectionism is so tiring because if I make a mistake sometimes I'd go to this place of i'm a you know i'm a terrible person i'm a i'm a loser i'm a fuck up, and it's it it's so we we think that we're disciplining ourselves by doing that, but what we're doing by not being compassionate to ourselves, is we're damaging things around us even more because then we're isolating ourselves from other people because we're trapped in our head. We're not present there. Um, It's just, it's an insidious, it's an insidious thing. It's an insidious thing. Um, Anyway, continuing. Um, Maybe I can make up for it by acting extra nice and doing lots of good things for and in the world, and if that doesn't work, there's always death. Sharing this makes me feel very sad and hopeless and very, very shameful. It also makes me feel powerful for knowing these things about myself, but feeling that power only compounds the shame. I guess underneath it all, I believe that my power is shameful, but you haven't abused your power. There's times that you could have abused kids, that you could have raped animals, that you could have and, and you've chosen not to. And you talked about feeling bad about other things, so you have a conscience. I think, I think you know, and as I said, I'm no fucking professional, but I think every person listening to this wants to reach out and give you a hug and say, please cry on my shoulder. Please cry on my shoulder. You sound like you are in so much pain and your parents heaped all of their fucking shame on you. And... And through processing this with a professional like you've started doing, I hope that some of this shame will leave you. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I pretty much only hold back when I feel I might hurt someone. My only real secrets are the deep, dangerous, dark ones. I wish I could share these with my husband. I haven't been able to because he is not comfortable talking about anything approaching emotional substance, and he is a heap of anxiety, guilt, and self-recrimination too. He is like a very responsible, very frightened rabbit. My God, that is an image. What, if anything, do you wish for relief? Have you shared these things with others? Hell no. Maybe someday if I find a way to trust the therapist. I like the person I'm working with now, but we've just started, so it's too soon to tell what kind of trust I will develop. How do you feel after writing these things down? Anxious. Now I feel extra aware of my issues and like I really need to get to work fixing them. And I also feel overwhelmed by them. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? You're not alone. I would love to talk to you about these things. In fact, I'd love to talk to anyone about anything deep and meaningful and taboo. And then any suggestions to make the podcast better? Interview me. Well, if you get to LA, um, let me... Let me know because um I think you'd be an interesting an interesting guest. And um this this letter um and again I just want to send you but send you a hug. And um it sounds like you're in so much pain and turmoil, and so much of it is you heaping it on yourself by judging your thoughts. I, I got this um email from uh a female listener and she writes, I was listening to the surveys from last week and I had a thought for people who beat themselves up for the type of porn they like. Here's the proof they aren't weird. They wouldn't make that type of porn if nobody liked it. Clearly, there's an audience for it. Proof that your turn-ons are not that weird. Also, as for people without any turn-ons, me. Probably because I'm so repressed about everything and afraid of vulnerability. I could probably compare my approach to sex to my approach to dancing. I was always too afraid to dance because I might be vulnerable or look weird or get made fun of, so I didn't dance. Then I figured out what to do. I could take ballroom dance lessons. There were specific moves and I could learn to do them correctly and the man would lead and I could follow and then I could dance but without the vulnerability. Yep, that's me and sex. Also, uh, About as vanilla as you can get so that nobody will call me weird. Any desire to do anything else, if it exists, is is entirely repressed. So if you're wondering, who is the screwed up one? The person who gets off on incest, porn, or me? Well, it's probably me. At least that person knows what they like and they are in touch with it, whereas I don't. That said, this isn't really an issue for me because guess when the last time I had sex was? Answer, not recently. Last time I watched porn, try never. And then she writes, hope your week is going well and the depression's on vacation. Can't wait to hear your next uh, episode this week. Thank you for that. And um, I hope uh, laughing on the inside, you you feel some comfort from from that. And, uh, you know, I, as I put the surveys together for this week's show, I was like, you know, this one's a little heavy on uh, the female um, uh, surveys where the female was uh, being sexually abusive. And I think I partly did that to comfort myself because when I get to a really insecure place in my life where I'm doubting the validity of what I went through and how I'm dealing with it, it, um, I need need to be reminded that this is a real thing because for the first 48 years of my life, I didn't truly believe that women could... Could sexually hurt um, people, and if you ever read the comment section of you know one of those news stories that seem to pop up uh, every couple of weeks about a you know thirty year old teacher having sex with a fourteen year old boy, and half the comment sections are people wanting to to high five him, um, it. I feel like we have a long way to go, um, and I guess this is a long, <laughs> a long a roundabout way of me. Um, apologizing if it comes across as I'm as I'm trying to make women look bad or more perverted than men um, because that that's not my intent my intent is to try to shine the light on places where I feel there needs more more light and and this is as you know because of my story, this is a a personal mission. For me. Um, but I sometimes second guess myself and am like, oh, you're making this all about your issues. Um, but then again, it's my podcast, so go fuck yourself. Mm, how'd you like that? Right out of left field. Anyway, I desperately want you guys to fully accept me and to love me, <laughs> to not reject me and not abandon me. And I'm afraid sometimes that if I follow my instinct, it will lead to that because deep down, I'm an unlovable person. (laughs) Oh my God, it is so hard being a human being. It is so hard being a human being. This is, oh, I love this one. This is filled out by a therapist um, and talking about her experiences both as a therapist and as a client, and she is in her th- uh, between 36 and 50, what brought you to therapy? I'm pretty sure the same things that brought me to be a therapist put my ass in therapy. I've been in the field for over 20 years, and I'm convinced that we in the profession are among the craziest people out there. But to be specific, what brought me to f- the field was a sincere desire to help others who suffer. No other job felt worth doing. Um, any fears associated with, uh, starting therapy either as a client or a therapist. I regularly fear that I can't help someone or worse, might say or do something that will harm them. I also fear that my clients will somehow think I'm a fraud because I am not the image of mental or physical health. This last one is fleeting because I also know that I am really relatable because of my lack of perfection. Um, Did any of your fears come true? I did have a client complete suicide about 10 years ago. I live with the feeling that I quote, missed something and in effect, didn't help him as a result. He was only 27 years old, but I am also humbled because I understand maybe more uh, than others now, the gravity and what is at stake in doing this work. Uh, What has worked best for you in therapy? Um, Psychoanalysis, I now go five times a week. I do not practice analytically, however, I would load the experience of being in such close and in-depth contact with a client, honestly. My analyst has saved my life, frankly. I've tried all kinds of therapy, 12-step programs, religion, etc. I'm also aware that most people cannot afford to do a long-term analysis, and I'm so sad because I know how transformative it can be. I work an extra contract job just so I can afford it. Um. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? I thought my analyst was cold and a little strange. It's funny because now I understand that she actually just has really good boundaries, which has been one of my biggest struggles, both personally and professionally. I was not drawn to her at all, but I stayed because I was getting something I'd never experienced before in any kind of relationship. It's a trip. Um, what do you do to prevent uh, from getting compassion fatigue? I think compassion fatigue, to be blunt, is bullshit. Let me clarify. Of course, you take your work home with you in the sense that you are with people all day. The personal is professional and vice versa. Yes, work-life balance is critical, but I strongly recommend those who imagine there is a way to, quote, turn it off at the end of the day as if you are a robot, uh, reconsider the job or do something less clinical but still in the helping, helping profession. Having said that, I benefit from taking regular vacations in nature, getting massage, and having relaxing, non-thinking hobbies, hobbies like crocheting and knitting to calm my mind down at the end of a particularly triggering day. I hope I'm not coming off as arrogant or obnoxious. This job is fatiguing, though. You you sound the furthest thing from arrogant or obnoxious. You sound like a fantastic therapist. Um, this job is fatiguing, though, uh, but it is also pretty amazing sometimes, too, because you have the honor of being with people in their most vulnerable moments. Yeah, even though you know my my interviews with people are not are not therapy, it, you know what they do share in common is that I get the the privilege of being with people in really really vulnerable moments and it is life affirming. It is the opposite of draining. Um but I also don't have the I don't have the burden that the therapist has of you know I'm I don't have to guide that you know that person through their through their process, I just get a hour hour and a half window into it. Would you like how I turn that into talking about myself? Oh my God, go get a hammer and hit yourself in the head. Um What if anything, would you like to share with a group of new therapists? Ah, uh, welcome, get good supervision, peer and paid if necessary. Get in and stay in your own therapy for the duration of your time as a practitioner. Uh, like, would you want to go to a dentist with rotted out teeth? Uh, it is irresponsible not to be attending to your own inner world when doing this work. Find a hobby or two, and also some friends that aren't shrinks. Uh, if you uh, if you're seeking some balance, warm wishes. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so so much for that. Um, and then finally, I want to read. I want to end on a. Um, I had two more uh, therapy uh, therapy ones, but, um, um, my voice is starting to, starting to get tired. Uh, so I'm going to do an awful some moment and, um, actually two awful some moments. This first one is filled out by a woman who calls herself tortitude. And she writes, I was about 15 when I really thought about committing suicide I was sort of emotionally neglected as a child, and it continued, although not as bad, through my teenage years. I was so sick of not being heard and no one seemed to care that I was spending my nights locked in my room with music blaring. I would scream at my parents to listen to me because I was hurting, and my mother would tell me I was being overdramatic or that I was acting crazy. I eventually stopped talking. That breaks my heart. Um, I eventually stopped talking to them for about six months after one of these incidents. Since my window was halfway over the porch and was uh, easy to access, my father gave me um, the small sword and the set of katana swords for some sort of protection. Well, one night, after hours of crying, I decided to research the best way to commit suicide. I was looking up which veins and arteries would bleed out fastest, determining how or where to cut so my death would be as quick and as painless as possible. I had the sword sword unsheathed and laying on my bed when I heard bells jingling, alerting me that a cat wanted inside my room. I opened my door, and my old 17-year-old scraggly cat Clicked into my room. She has arthritis. This cat, Tiger, has been with me since I was three. She was my only friend as a child and was always there to listen to me. She clicked up to my bed, jumped onto it, and laid down on the blade. I freaked out, worrying that she would hurt herself. I tried to pick her up, but she meowed at me and gave me this look that was filled with disappointment. I think she was disappointed with me that I would even think about killing myself. I started crying and picked her up and cried into her fur. I felt so bad. And then she threw up all over my bed. So I cleaned up the puke, sheathed the sword, and petted tiger while watching a show on the learning channel. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. And then this is the last one, isn't it? it? This was put in a struggle in a sentence uh, survey as a snapshot, but I think it's an awful moment and this is from a guy who calls himself Johnny Toxic 1985 and he writes uh, last week I decided to get out of the house to sing punk rock karaoke at one of my favorite bars. My driver passed it and when he found out I was going to a bar I was treated to a long lecture about how handicapped people shouldn't drink and how my kind quote don't have friends. I'm very proud of myself though Paul because instead of letting it ruin my night I went in that bar, downed a shot and sang the fuck out of ever sang the ever living fuck out of every ramone song that i could thank you for that i don't think we've ever uh i don't think we've ever ended a show on a uh an angry punk rock moment but uh that just felt like a like a good moment to end the show on anyway um i hope uh i hope you heard something tonight that If you're not getting help that nudged you towards help, I hope you heard something maybe that comforted you a little bit or made you laugh or gave you more insight into the struggles of somebody that you know or will meet down the road. Um, I know being able to talk about this stuff um, that I talk to you guys about helps me. It helps my shame, even though it instantly I feel shame when it first comes out of my mouth. But down the road... um, it, it winds up helping take take the shame away from me. And um, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you're not alone. You are not alone. There's so many of us that feel exactly like you do, but we will never find that out if we don't ever connect to other people and, and get help. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I'm still here. Uh, even though I dread getting out of bed in the morning, I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad I have this community with you guys. And... um Thanks so much for listening.
1: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know, some know some is, weird is beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.